You're listening to episode six of Sometimes On, and if you haven't figured it out by now, it's a podcast, when we feel like it. Today we join Digitas Chicago's Doug Ryan, Chris Bannon of Midroll Media, and Rashad Tabakawala of Publicis Group, as they talk about finding followers and the single biggest joke that's been pulled on marketers. Hi, I'm Doug Ryan, one of the presidents of Digitas LBI. Thanks for joining us for Finding Followers, a conversation about building audiences. I'm here with Rashad Tabakawala, Chief Strategist at Publicis Group, and Chris Bannon, Chief Content Officer at podcasting company Midroll Media, and formerly of WNYC, where he developed shows like Freakonomics and countless others. Welcome. Happy to be here. Our topic is finding followers. So in the spirit of content, uh, a lot of people are talking about the subject matter, but uh, key to content working is the audience. And uh, especially in the realm of marketing and the brand environment, uh, everybody's in search of an audience for their content. And as you look at the world, especially from a, from a branded content perspective, it seems uh, a little bit of a chicken the egg situation. So I often see in the entertainment world where someone says, we have this great story and our job is to find the audience. Uh, in the marketing world, you often have brands with huge consumer bases. So in a way they have an audience already established, but they're, they're wondering, so what's the story? What's the content I can bring? So from a brand perspective, and I'll start with you, Rashad, how should brands be thinking about content? Should they be thinking about, oh, what's my audience? Uh, what are they most interested in? And then how can I work the brand in? Or do you start with the brand, something interesting about them, and then figure out how to make that relevant to your audience? I would say that it's probably both. If I were to start somewhere, I would start with the consumer. Because if you are not adding value or giving them something that they're curious about, they would not care about much else. Uh, so I would definitely start with the consumer. On the other hand, as a brand, you have to filter what you might want to say uh, to them through your sort of brand lens. And you also have to sort of recognize that it has to be very, very valuable because a lot of brand managers believe that they want, a lot of people want to have a relationship with them. And the reality of it is uh, when people don't have time to have relationships with people, uh, they don't really <laughs> want to have relationships with the brand. Or as someone said, I don't want to have a relationship with Talalol, I want my headache to go away. So we have to have a consumer focus and sort of brand reality. Oh, that's great. Chris, you probably have a unique perspective, so you're sort of crossing over, right? You, you're sort of in the more pure content world and now in the I'm not sure how side. pure it was, but I was certainly in a, in, a, in a public media environment for a long time. I actually agree with Rashad. I think the, for us, the consumer is the listener, and the listener comes first. And the, the second point that he made about uh, filtering the information, give them something very specific that you only can deliver, whether it's a kind of storytelling, whether it's a subject that's very clearly defined. People have so many choices as listeners in the world of podcasting that um, when you have a show that you want to build and develop, the first thing you have to think about is what shouldn't I be telling them and what should I be telling them and, and bring some amount of focus to it. And most people make the mistake of trying to do too many things in one vehicle. Oh, interesting. Well, that almost raises that question for me. So when you think about like, great content examples in, in our marketing world, people tend to go sort of glamour categories that it's sort of natural, right? So it's like, like auto, and it's like, yeah, because people love cars and there's a huge audience out there. They're big and expensive. Yeah, and, and things like that. But almost to, to, to uh, your thing, Rashad, about who wants a relationship with Tylenol, like when you're, when you're you know, a consumer package good, when you're right. an aspirin or you're 
a painkiller and things like that. Where where's the well, richness in that? Do you think the story of the aspirin is is my bottle the first bottle you reach for, right? That's the story that you want. If you have all those bottles on a shelf, which one do you reach for first? And if I'm the maker of that aspirin, like it's storytelling. I have to figure out what the story is that will persuade people that my bottle should be the first bottle they reach for. And you think that no matter how apparently. Every day, the categories there's some story in there that, that that you can tap into. I mean, I'm biased because I come from a realm of storytelling, so <laughs> I tend to see everything as a kind of story, which is probably a blinding me to a lot of things that are not. But um, yeah, I mean, I love ads. I consume them and have for years and remember them from my childhood even. And I think the best ones, tricks. Do you remember that ad? Tricks are for kids. Like sure. there's a slogan that I remember from 40 years ago, uh, in part because it it's I was a kid. It seemed like something that belonged to me that was only for me and not for my parents. And it was a very compelling story in, in 30 seconds or however much time they had, told visually. Yeah. Okay, there. We have the gold standard, tricks over kids. <laughs> um, that also gets into the, what's the right role for brands. So there's general buckets that people put it in. They say, well, sometimes you can be the originator of the content, you can be a curator because you know your audience, or you can be like, you know, a sponsor brought to you by. Uh, are those all equally valid? Uh, Rashad, in your mind, or does it depend what kind of brand you are and what, what path is most effective? I think all of those three can be utilized, but each of them have a very different strategic approach. So the sponsorship really increasingly is going to be about purpose-driven marketing and about what values your company wants to be associated with, and that's basically it. But values become extremely important because an entire generation of people want to know what are you connected to. Uh, so I would have sponsorship primarily built around purpose. So like of what American the company Express wants and Red would be an example of Exactly, that. Okay. Uh, would be one. When it comes down to creating content, um, I would say there's a couple of things. One is you should only create content that the company knows specifically more about something than anything that anybody else does. So if BMW creates content about engineering, I can believe it. If BMW creates content about the future of music, I kind of don't believe it unless it's a link with Spotify or with Pandora about the future of mobile music, which might be happened. So it's those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and so, and then when it comes down to sort of curation, I think curation is very important because there is a lot of amazing content companies out there. But interestingly, curation often happens after the fact versus before the fact, which is you begin to see certain things happening. So this morning I had breakfast with a client of one of our companies, and she mentioned about how one of her products was um, a uh, Star Wars-themed product. And because the big Star Wars convention is going on, people are basically creating entire games around that Star Wars-based product. Now that is a very interesting form and they're putting it on Instagram. Uh, now that would yeah. be some very interesting content that you want to curate right. because really, I don't know if it's, a, you know, curate sometimes is, is about editing, right? I have a feeling that it needs two things. You need curation yeah. and distribution. So what you do is you curate by finding things that are really aligned with the brand or what you want to support, and then you put the brand power to distribute. Because curate is sometimes just editing. All this great stuff already exists. 
but how do you identify it and then expand it? Because otherwise, if it was already expanding by itself, you don't have a role. Yeah. Well, that's key. You know, the theme of this is finding followers or building audience, and uh, so distribution is is a big part of that. I would. Say, it's interesting that you say that because I think of the audience as a new distribution path. Right? They're really for my career in public radio, and certainly at mid-roll right now with Earwolf and Wolf Pop. We like and try to curate the audience response. We want them to generate enthusiasm for what we're doing and to share that with their friends. And that's something that really wasn't available, I think, to anyone, whether you're on the creative side or the advertising, the brand side, uh, until really very recently. And it's, I think it scares a lot of people, but it's actually a very powerful tool. I'm working with some of our shows right now that have been started in the last several months. I had a conversation with one of the teams yesterday and uh, even though they have, they're part of a very big website that they've built over the years, they don't really integrate that audience into the podcast that they're doing. Oh. And so we had a long conversation about which ways can we make the audience part of the conversation we're having every week. It's very important. So even Colin, on your, your former role, when you think about distribution, mm -hmm. uh, was it always, how much was engineered, how much it was organic? Well, you can't, you can't always control what people do with it, but we tried to engineer it very much. Membership in public media is a very important concept. It's something we talk about all the time. We, we send out tote bags not because we believe they're necessarily the best thing in the world <laughs> to carry your groceries home, although I do think they're you know, very green, um, but because it's great to see one on the subway in New York and realize that's a WNYC tote bag and there's another member of WNYC. That's someone like me who listens to the station. Um, giving you weigh thousands of those, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands over years at cost or just above cost, uh, puts our brand in front of all kinds of people who see that person. And even if they never have a conversation, say, well, that's someone maybe a little bit like me or that seems to be reading a book that I would like, and they have this tote bag. Building on that, I think the point that Chris makes, which is absolutely important, is we should not forget that in the end, the person who drives this is the person or the consumer. And the two things that they're always looking for is identity. They want to express their identity. Yeah. And they're basically looking to show their taste. There's this very interesting combination of identity and taste. And in today's world, they put forth their identity by broadcasting their taste. And so to a great extent, we have to yeah. ensure that we play this identity and taste you know, version ex extremely correctly. And building on that too, there is this idea of, we've always talked about it as paid media, owned media, earned media, and shared media. And there's sort of this interesting link. Now I will share what I identify with and what I believe is in good taste. Right. But once I do that, you could put some of your paid stuff to help me broadcast that, which is you broadcast my good taste. You know, you sort of reinforce the relationship. Yeah. Sort of re too. reinforce that, right? And and part of it is of course the owned and the earned. But one of the things that I want to make sure that we always recognize is brands should not forget why they first came to the movie, which is unless you happen to basically be a film studio or you happen to be a speaker or an author your real reason for being is a product and service that is not necessarily about content, okay? Yep, and right. ideally what you want people to do is talk about a superior product and a superior service more than you want them to talk about anything else. And part of what I sometimes worry about is marketers 
don't know how to differentiate. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to differentiate on content. And I believe you have to differentiate on product or service or finding the right group against which your product or service matters, right? Because the rest of it then otherwise looks very bogus mm -hmm. and inauthentic. Well, I love that point because it gets into one of the pieces of common wisdom that I have doubts about. So one of the things floating around right now is ever brands as publisher, right? That was one of the, the big things. And that's what we, brands need to think about. They need to think about themselves as publishers. And exactly to your point, is that right? right? So if you're gonna take that literally, a brand should go out and hire a journalistic staff and have Start an editorial staff and have studios and so. I, I, I don't think it's right. I think this whole idea of to your point about curating and sponsoring and sometimes creating some content makes sense versus brand as publisher for two simple reasons, three reasons really. First is publishing is not your core competency. So if you say as a brand you're a publisher, my whole basic belief is we're living in a network world that actually allows people to access best of breed. So I just don't understand why the hell a brand would be a publisher. That's number one. The second is, last I heard, publishing is a dying industry with no margin. <laughs> so my whole stuff is why the hell do you want to basically do it? Because you have to then compete with someone like me who publishes for free in order to build myself as a brand, but I have to build myself as a brand so I'm using that as a giveaway. Mm -hmm. Why do brands want to do that? They've already established themselves, which is the second you know, part of it. Yeah. The third one, which is extremely important, is there is a line, and you, we can see this, and there's been this huge fight that's going on between what we now consider to be native advertising. Right. And you know, this week, of course, there's the big brouhaha about BuzzFeed, you know, suppressing things and not suppressing, et cetera. And you know, where does church and state, et cetera, meet? Right. At some particular stage, I think what people don't realize is a brand, whether it's a publishing brand or whether it is a consumer brand, right? The most important thing in a brand after product differentiation and service is trust, mm -hmm. okay? Sooner or later when you start becoming a publisher and you don't know what you're doing unless you're a public publishing company, you lose you trust. You get caught, yeah. yes. Yeah. So that, that happens over and over. I mean, that, that's of your business model, right? Is your brands, that's what you're there for, yes, right? Yes, I mean, you know, in public radio, we're trusted for the journalism that we represent. At Midroll, we're trusted for the comedy and entertainment and the pop culture sort of information value that we can provide. And uh, it's my job to sort of expand the circles of what we're doing, but I don't think I would start by having something that's a, uh, a very st strictly journalistic enterprise right now, because I think our core audience wouldn't know what to make of that. We'd have to try to find a way to to build the path to something that's broader, to a series of shows that are broader. So with your content that you have now, like what is the ideal role of the brand? Can, can they actually add value in your equation or are they trying to take value from you? What's the best role well, that you, you're adding value in the brand? Sure. Um, ideally, you know, we have a wide range of shows that are hosted by all kinds of performers, um, mainly based in Los Angeles, but people who are internationally well known for what they do. We look to find uh, brands that are interested in the digital audience primarily because we're a digital first company. We uh, talk to our listeners through their cell phones and their earbuds. Uh, it's a very intimate con connection we have with them and I think our greatest successes in terms of, of sponsorships and, and advertising have really come from brands who understand the value of that connection and I, I understand 
moreover, that uh, there's something really unique about the relationship of the listener to digital advertising even. Our hosts deliver the ad copy themselves directly, live to tape, and they're allowed to play with it a little bit. We encourage some creativity as long as the sponsor's okay with it. Um, and it personalizes it. It makes it, um, and they're also allowed to not do advertising they can't actually stand behind or don't feel that they have a good amount of trust with. And that decision that puts that in the hands of a creative person, I think builds tremendous trust on the other side of the microphone with the listener. Sure, right, yeah, it's implicit sort of endorsement if they know that they can apply that criteria. That's right. Yeah. So that's, that's brand as publisher is one meme we've blown up. Let me see if we were gonna blow up others. <laughs> Content is king. So that's even an older meme in terms of how people are describing the new environment. Is content king? Uh, I don't believe content is king. I believe access to content is king. <laughs> if content was king, one of the best companies in the world on content, the New York Times, would be very highly valued. However, what is very highly valued is Google and Facebook. They and do Apple. not create any, or Apple. They do not create any content, but enable access to content. In one case, they distribute as Facebook. In the other case, it's you know, search-driven. And the third case, it's devices that use content. Mm -hmm. So in effect, this entire idea of content is king and content is queen is the single biggest joke that has been pulled on marketers. <laughs> <laughs> you agree with that, Chris? Uh, well, it's king in my world, right? Because I'm a publisher. I make things. Right. Um, but I agree with Rashad. In fact, if you think about the history of media, RCA uh, sold, made radio programs because they wanted to sell radios. That's where the real money was. They did that with televisions. They invented color television so they could sell even more televisions. And they, the technology has always um, led the content side for those kinds of industries. Um, what I think is different now is that content can be accessed so directly and the choices can be made so freely by people. Uh, cable television can't tell me what to watch anymore. And um, that frees up a lot of creativity, but I'm not sure it actually um, makes content king of anything specific. I mean, it's, it's really just there's so much more out there that it, we seem awash in it. We're flooded with it. Yeah. But it's actually very difficult to navigate. You know, to give you an idea, this is a very simple question. Let's look at Comcast, mm -hmm. okay, which is a client of ours and it's a big company. Uh, I'm just making this up, okay? <laughs> I would say that if Brian Roberts was asked today, which would he rather have, Time Warner or NBC? I think he'd want Time Warner, hmm. okay? I'm not talking about the Time Warner content business, which is not up for sale, but Time Warner cable. cable. The reality of it is because, in effect, it's the distribution power of broadband and cable that basically gives him pricing power, mm -hmm. right? It's not necessarily the NBC, you know. Thursday night lineup. Thursday lineup. Yeah. It may be Universal Studios, it may be other things, but it's not necessarily that. And to that same extent, I think sometimes what mistakes happen is there's something that people think about, like for instance, right now the HBO versus Netflix wars, mm -hmm. where there is a certain area of content, which is HBO is, you know, increasingly content. Yes, content is king for people who create content, which is HBO and Netflix. But HBO is a small fraction of what used to be the big time company, if you think about it. Yeah. Right? So in effect, you had the entire time corporation. So first they got rid of AOL. Right. Then they got rid of Time Warner Cable. Then they got rid of the magazines. If, mag if content was king, why would they have got rid of the magazines? 
right? It's, it's, it's kind of really ridiculous. I think what's increasingly happened is content won't be king. World-class people who create world-class content will be kings and queens. <laughs> That's completely different than content being king and queen. Yeah, yeah. right. So, the, so, so you know the David Simons, or you know, right. you know who, who created the Wire, you know, those kinds of people will be kings and queens. That's right. Um, that raises an interesting question in my mind because when we think about associating with content, we've talked about before, you know, the curation, the sponsorship, and things, and you sort of think of it in terms of oh, we're associating with the content, but most of the way you're framing it, equally if not more value, is you're associating yourself with the distribution. Really, that's 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 really what what's happening. So when you have an established property, Chris, or something, it's it's maybe yeah. As a brand, I'm thinking, oh, I I love being associated with that content. That's great. But maybe the bigger challenge is with everything fragmenting so much. What I'm really in search of, and what I'm really partnering with, is an audience. Well, that's it. I mean, we can't uh, speaking for podcasters at least, you know, we can't, we are very dependent on Apple, for instance, and iTunes, where, you know, we've launched four shows this month, and watching those shows climb up the charts becomes a minute-by-minute minute, <laughs> right. uh, sort of validation of our, the bet that we've made on this content, or in some cases, uh, a wish we'd been able to do better. But um, uh, I think we have to try to not get in the game of creating um, some sort of platform for ourselves that we're too dependent on, but rather just try to make things and make sure we're everywhere we need to be and let the distribution side of this uh, argument take care of itself. I, I wouldn't want to be necessarily too tied to, uh, say, Time Warner if, um, because I can't tell what's going to happen to that world. I need to have a couple of escape hatches. Yeah. So, um, as a creative person, you mentioned podcasts, that being your business, I'll let you either affirm or blow up another. Sure. Meme flowing out there, which is oh, everything's going to video. Like, vi you know, if you think about uh, whether it's Periscope video. or whether it's uh, what I'm sure YouTube will be telling us next week at the new fronts and things like that, is that uh, you know, content, all content is is teaching the audience about video. I don't think it's a zero sum game. I would say everything is going to that cell phone in your pocket, and that people use those in incredibly diverse ways. Uh, it's actually the best time in the world, I think, to be making audio because we have found ourselves with this wonderful device that lets you store on demand thousands of hours of our shows and all the other shows that you enjoy. And if you uh, just get around to doing that several times a week and listen to, oh, I don't know, four or five hours, you're already doing more listening than most people were able to do to radio, to their you know, favorite or second favorite radio station. There's so much possibility there. And if they decide to use the YouTube you know, app on their phone, they're still using their phone and we're right next to it. And I like being in the space right next to the most popular app on someone's phone. If it's YouTube, that's wonderful because then they're going to get bored one day and swipe over one direction and maybe they'll land on uh, our app and play it. Yeah, great. Um, this has been discussion. I'm, I'm going to uh, try to wrap up what has been a very good discussion by asking you to take out your crystal balls. Uh -oh. So uh, if you had to give advice to a brand in this area and saying, hey, the things you should pay most attention to, if you want to be relevant with your audiences in the way the world of content is going in the next two years, what would be the best advice you could give them? Who wants to start? <laughs> I'll go. Oh. Um, I would give them uh, two broad pieces of advice. The first piece of advice would basically be to make sure that everything you do is apt, which is authentic, mm -hmm. which is 
is it really about you and your company or could anybody else do it? The other is purpose, which is part of linking up with content and linking up with partnerships is to try to show the purpose of the company because increasingly, and I don't think this is only a millennial thing, people are asking about the purpose of a company. We see that with people who join us, which is why are we here and what are we doing? And the most important one is trust, which is how do you link up with people you can trust and how do you not lose trust? So that's sort of like apt. So that's with regard to content. But on the other hand, the second thing I would do is try to think about almost everything you hear. The opposite is more likely to be true <laughs> than any particular meme. That's right. right. And I think one of the biggest things that marketers need to not do is they have always, always missed the next big thing because they are besotted by showing how they are cool by linking with today's big thing. Okay. So That's it's great. apto. We have to put an O on the end, apto. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great answer. I mean, I, uh, I have to agree about the crystal ball gazing. I, I went into public radio 25 years ago when no one really wanted to go into it. it was, and in fact, public television was much bigger. Um, I could not, I thought maybe I'll just see how this goes. That's totally flip-flop. Uh, right? Well, in yeah. 15 years, it went from a sort of dead end. It was a dead end for me when I went into it. It was the last chance I had in my 20s to earn a living and have what could be called a career. Um, and 15 years later, when cell phones first started becoming widespread and, and data plans became available, it suddenly began when Ira Glass trained a whole generation of people to listen carefully to audio and be enthusiastic about trying to make it. And then on their desktops landed edit editing software that they could use to make their own shows, microphones. They could build studios in their living rooms. Yeah. When all those things happened, suddenly a dead end industry that I had joined out of desperation in 1990 <laughs> became one of the hottest things that people wanted to do as the millennial generation has proven. So uh, I have no idea what's going to happen. I do think Rashad is absolutely right that it's about authenticity and trust and and even companies that I think don't think they're known for that have to look at themselves or that or may, may have had difficult public records, let's say, have to look at themselves and say, well, honestly, what can we be proud of? We should have a list. We should be able to think about that. And even if it's only for our own benefit, the pride that you have from the work you do within, I think is a very attractive thing for the consumers that you're trying to reach. They want to be proud of being associated with you and they will look to you and if you, if you're trying to hide what's really the truth about your, your organization, uh, they can smell that, they can tell that, and they won't, they won't be loyal to you. Um, and so I think I, I look for that trust and authenticity that Rashad described. Yeah, great advice from both of you. So Chris Bannon, Chief Content Officer, Mineral Media, Rashad Tabakawala, Chief Strategist, Publicist Group, thank you, great discussion. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. While I completely agree with Rashad, content is not king. The people creating the content are the kings and queens. This episode of Sometimes On was sponsored by our audiophile friends and experts in content at Midworld Media. Head over to our YouTube page to check out Chris Bannon in our New Front Revelations video series. And as always, a big thanks to our production team, Chris, Barbara, Avi, Colin, and me, George Hammer. Till next time, see ya.